Well, do please be seated and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. I just feel like I need to turn kind of this way. It's, it's a lopsided room tonight. But, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, really the whole chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 31. Uh, we're finishing up tonight a series on uh, the essentials of the Christian church. So we've looked at uh, the essentials of the Christian faith at the very, very beginning of our evenings together. Uh, we've gone through now uh, and are finishing the essentials of the Christian church. Uh, after our kind of two-week break, so two weeks over, over Easter, we'll only meet in the mornings. Um, after that, we'll come back to the evenings, and uh, we'll start looking at Daniel, which is an Old Testament prophet. Uh, kind of the first half of Daniel is, is pretty well-known narrative, so that's where you have the fiery furnace, the lion's dens, some really well-known stories. The second half is where it gets, it gets a bit weird, um, and we're going to do the whole thing. A lot of pastors just kind of stop after the, after the first half, but... Um, I love you, and I love God's word, and I think we should just do. We're going to do the whole thing, and at the end, you're going to go. I can't believe we did the whole thing, uh, but I'm excited about it. It's going to be great. Uh, so I hope you'll join us uh, on the 24th as we start that series. But tonight we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read the whole chapter. Uh, and this is God's word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another by the same Spirit, or sorry, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it, make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Well, whenever we come to, to a new church like ours, one of the, the first questions we should be asking ourselves is, where do I fit? How can God use me here in, in this, this body of believers? We're, we're asking this as, as the last question in our series on the essentials of the Christian church. But let's not allow that to suggest to our minds that, that the question is unimportant. Paul says here it's actually a critical question for us precisely because of both the nature of the local church and because of how God has made and redeemed us. Paul says that if you, if you love Christ, then you have his spirit dwelling in you. And if you, if you have his spirit, then you have something to contribute to the church. And the church actually needs you. That's what we see tonight in, in 1 Corinthians 12, that, that you're called through Christ into the church. And you've, you're not here to be a passive observer, but an, an active participant in the body. And there's three things for us to see this evening. First, that the church of Christ is called to embrace unity. Secondly, that the church of Christ is called to embrace diversity. And third, that the church of Christ can't live without you. Now first I want to give us uh, actually a brief note on spiritual gifts. Because as we were uh, reading through this, I'm, I'm sure you're probably starting to get distracted by things like apostles and prophecy and tongues and so forth. So this, this is a sermon in itself, let's say that. But this, so this isn't going to be a comprehensive explanation of these things, but simply a, a brief word to help us understand where our church is on, on these gifts. Now, Paul makes it very clear that if, you're, that if you're in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit is in your life, and he's at work in you. Look at, look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to, to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now Paul says you can't declare Jesus as your Lord if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. If you're, if you're following Jesus, then you've at some point had to publicly profess faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And therefore you have the, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. There's, there's no extra sort of uh, extraordinary pouring out or, or baptism in, in the Holy Spirit. Paul says the Spirit is present in, in ordinary believers, in each one of us. Now, when it comes to these, uh, what we consider uh, extraordinary gifts, things like apostleship, prophecy, uh, speaking in tongues, there's actually an interesting trajectory that we see if we look at, at the whole of Paul's writings, uh, his, the way he develops the spiritual gifts and, and, and our understanding of them. 
is really quite interesting. In, in his earlier letters, like, like this one to the Corinthians, or, or for example, the, the ones to the church in Thessalonica, there's a, a greater emphasis on these revelatory gifts, which actually makes sense in the context that, that Paul's writing in, in in the first century. Uh, in this context, it had been nearly 400 years of silence since the last prophet had, had come to Israel uh, from that time until Jesus had arrived. And so there would have been good reason for people uh, to, to be skeptical of new revelation. And as Paul's ministry continues, as you, you begin to see the, the churches uh, believing in, in the apostles and, and the, the prophets and the, the use of tongues for, for spreading the word, uh, it becomes almost assumed in the churches. It has become uh, more established in that first century church. So if you, if you look at, say, the, Paul's letter to Ephesians, then you see Paul mentioning these, these gifts and he mentions them especially and specifically as establishing the foundation of the church. And then as you get later on into, into his, his letters, when you look at some of his last letters, so exa- for example to, to Timothy and Titus, these two young ministers, you don't hear him mentioning these gifts really at all. Rather, he, he instructs them in how to be ministers of the gospel that has been, that has been revealed. To, to preach and teach the word of God that has been uh, established by, by the ministry of the apostles. He doesn't suggest that they should be continuing to, to prophesy or presenting new revelation. Uh, there's obviously a lot more that we could say on that. Uh, some of you might not agree with me on that, and that's, that's okay. Again, this is just so you understand sort of where, where, where we're, we're coming from tonight as we look at this passage. For now, I think what, what we what I think it's fair to say is that our view as a church is that the extraordinary gifts were there to establish the church of Christ. They were, they were foundational. And to, to, uh, uh, what continues into today are the, what we would maybe consider the more ordinary gifts, things that were established and, and continue to this day. And those were uh, what we're more concerned with tonight. With precisely, and, and we were concerned with that precisely because we believe the Holy Spirit is still present, and He's still active, and He's still at work in these ordinary gifts, things like teaching and, and preaching the Word of God, as well as other things that we'll we'll see tonight. So then, what what does Paul tell us about where we fit in the church? What's your place? Well, first he tells us that that the Church of Christ is called to embrace unity. Look back at verses four through eleven. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, verse 7. And then jumping down to verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So Paul calls the, the church in Corinth to, to unity, doesn't he? Which is something that, that was lacking in this particular congregation. They had all kinds of issues in the, the last chapter, chapter 11, uh, that we, we looked at it some uh, a number of weeks ago. Uh, but in chapter 11, Paul's explained to them the Lord's Supper, uh, what we're going to take later tonight. And, and he's, he actually rebukes them because they were making a mess of it. You know, people were, were coming to the table, and the, the people who, who had more uh, ate more. 
and they didn't leave anything for, for those who had less, the, the poor and the, the weak amongst them. And so Paul rebukes them for that because they're, they're not reflecting the unity of the body of Christ. They were discriminating against the poor rather than holding all things in common and caring for one another rightly. And here it seems Paul's rebuking them for, for something else, for, for arguing about who is doing what in the church. Whether some are, are better than others because of the gifts that they have for serving. And what, what does Paul tell them? Well, Paul tells them that there's, there's a place for anyone and everyone in the church of Christ if they're in Christ, if they're followers of Jesus. That's the very heart of Christian unity, isn't it? That there's one Spirit, that there's one Lord, that there's one Savior, and He gives us gifts for the common good. See, the heart of unity is, is this one Spirit who calls us and secures us to Christ Jesus. Everyone's equal as a, as a child of Christ in, in His church. The problems begin to, to creep in when we lose sight of that, when, when, uh, and we, we often lose sight of that when we start thinking we, we own the church. When we, we, we talked last week about who runs the church, who's in charge around here, and we, we talked about eldership. I'd, I'd say that 99% of churches split over this question, whether it's, uh, it's people not liking or wanting to listen to the leadership appointed by Christ, or whether it's bad leadership lording it over people in the church and being bullies. Most church issues and splits happen as a result of of. of arguments over who who runs the church who has the gifts and the greater gifts issues splits happen because the church is like the one in Corinth forget who is who the church is about it's not about them it's not about you and it's not about me it's about Jesus and folks this can get really really petty like really petty. I once heard a, an apocryphal story uh, of a, a young church in the United States where uh, they had just built their first building. And you would think that that would be a time to, to rejoice and be glad and, and to, to, to really uh, be thankful to God for his provision. But, but an argument broke out. And, and the argument broke out over which side of the, the welcome area the water cooler should go on. One group said that when you came, come in the door, the water cooler should be to the right. The other group said when, when people come through the door, the water cooler should be over on the left. And eventually it was settled when the losing group left the church and went up the street and built a nearly identical building and put the water cooler on the other side of the welcome area. That sounds pathetic, and it is. And I don't know if it's true, but if you've been around the church as long as I have, then uh, sadly, it, it sounds believable. This is plausible when the church forgets who, who it is and who it belongs to. See, the church is the people of God brought together by Jesus. That's, that's really the point. That if you're in Christ, you should be drawn to the church even when it's messy. You fit with the church. You should be drawn to it, but you should also be seeking its purity and peace because the church belongs to Jesus, not to you and not to me. So where do you fit in the church? Well, well Paul says you, you can fit about, about anywhere as long as you belong to Christ. And remember that no, no matter how frustrated you might get with, 
with me or, or with anyone else in this room that, that they belong to Jesus too. And that's all that really matters. The love of Jesus for us and our love for him has to, to, has to translate into love for one another. That's what Paul gets at here. He, he says it, it isn't about the individual gifts. It's about the giver of those gifts and finding our identity and our power in his spirit. We didn't go on to read chapter 16, but that's the, the well-known uh, love chapter, or sorry, chapter 13, the well-known love chapter in 1 Corinthians. That's, that's what Paul drives to, that all of these gifts mean nothing if you don't have love for one another. Francis Schaeffer gets to this point. Fran- Francis Schaeffer, who was a, a Christian theologian and a, a philosopher, an apologist, and, and also a founder of the International Presbyterian Church, our, our denomination, uh, once said this, that, that the central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism, nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor even the threat of rationalism and the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. I don't know what that monolithic consensus, whatever that is. But all these are dangerous, but not the primary threat. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ individually corporately tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. Now that's quite a rebuke, really. Schaefer Schaefer died in the early 80s, which is why I don't understand half the things he's complaining about in the first half of that quote. But you could could substitute pretty much any any problems, couldn't you? You know, things like, like in our day, you know, radical nationalism or secularism or, or the, the far-left activism. But the rebuke's still the same. The greatest threat to the church are not these things outside of us. It's when we don't look to Jesus as the one who, who calls us into his body. There may be uh, people here who are, are more gifted than you at certain things. And there may be uh, more, they, they may be more visible in their gifts than you. But you're called to love them. And they're called to love you because in Christ we're, we're one people, we're one body. And as a, as a church we're called by Jesus to take our, our individual gifts and use them for the common good. To, to minister in the power of Christ Jesus to one another. And that actually leads to our, our second point this evening. That the church of Christ is called to uh, embrace diversity. Or perhaps more more accurately, the way I'm using diversity, the, the, individual, the individuality, the individual gifts God's given to each believer. Paul tells the church in Corinth that God has appointed each believer to different roles and tasks. That in the, the church, God has brought together a, a rich diversity of gifts and abilities. And, and he, wants to use, he wants them to be used to, to glorify him. He's saying that, that Jesus is saving people who he wants to use to, to edify his people in the church. We're called to embrace that. Uh, Paul later says in, in his letter to the Ephesians that God, God has, has saved us to, to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And, and he's talking about everybody in the church when he's saying that. But we're told here that, that God has appointed in the church uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. There's a couple of ways that we can look at this list. Again, suspending the question around uh, the more charismatic gifts this evening. There's a couple of ways that we, we can look at this list. I look at this list and I think 
I think to myself, I, I sure hope I didn't get the administration gift. Because if I did, there's something wrong with me. Because I really hate administrative tasks. I can sort of do them. You know, I, I, can, I can do them well enough, but it's not easy. And I'm not an organizer. I'm, I can organize to a certain extent, but I, I, I just, you know, I'm limited on that one. So we may look at this list and go, gee, I, I hope I didn't get that gift. And if you're feeling that way, you probably didn't. On the other hand, maybe a healthier way of looking at this list is to go, wait, God's given some people the gift of administration? That's brilliant. Where are they? The church could use someone with that gift. You know, knowing that, that God has given a diversity of individuals to a church with a diversity of gifts actually, actually frees us to be thankful for that and to celebrate that because we can see our own weaknesses and our need of, of, of that diversity and, and the, those gifts. We can see our own weakness. We can see our, own need, our need for, for brothers and sisters to serve in the church of Christ. We don't have to control everything. We don't have to run everything. We can't, we can't minimize the gifts and abilities God's given to each of us. So your, your calling is actually not to sit back but to engage and to help. Your, your calling is to, to offer your, your gifts to Christ through his church and to allow him to use you. See, Paul says that God has given some people the gift, the gift of being helpers here, doesn't he? People like, say, deacons, which is an office in the church that I, I didn't get to talk about last week, but they're, they're people who care for the physical and, and mercy needs of, of the church and, and the wider community. We need them, don't we? They're brilliant. They help us to love our neighbors the way Jesus meant, intended. Now, what we aren't meant to do is, is look at this list and go, I'm a teacher and that's all that really matters. That's the only thing this church really needs. That, that's what God is calling our church to be, the, the teaching, preaching church. Or I, or, or I love doing mercy ministry, and that's, that's the kind of church we need to be, is, is the mercy ministry church. Or I love good music, so, so this needs to be the, the good music church. Or I love creative arts, so we need to be the, the creative church. No, God's calling Grace Church to be, to be a proper body of Christ. We're going to, to preach the word. We're going to administer the sacraments. We're going we're gonna to practice discipline. We talked about those three things earlier. Those are the things that, that mark the church. But we need people, we, we need people who love mercy who want to care for the poor. We need people who don't mind just, just serving, moving chairs around because they're servant-hearted. We need people who want to, to organize and people who are, are able to help us be, be creative in outreach. We need musicians. We need people who want to, to love people with mental health struggles. We need people who, who uh, with great ideas for how we can, can better love and care for one another in our fellowship. We need people who, who love beauty and want the church to be a, a beautiful place and a, and a place for creativity. Paul says if Grace Church Hammersmith is going to be the church of Christ, then we have to love and embrace the diversity of gifts in our midst that are in this room here tonight to allow them to thrive and to shine. What this means for you is that it's, it's easy in, in the early days of a church like ours. We're only, what are we, six months in or so. It's early in in a church plant like this to think this is Rob's church and what Paul says to us tonight is it isn't Rob's church 
It's Christ's church. Rob's just, just one Muppet who's, who's waiting on others to come and to help and to exercise their gifts. You see, we can only be a, a proper church when you bring whatever gifts you have and, and use them for Jesus in whatever time and capacity you have. We want to embrace the gifts that Jesus has placed in this, in this room tonight. And there's a reason why, which is our third point. Our third point is that the church of Christ can't live without you. Now, ultimately, yes, it can live without you and me. We only need Jesus, don't we? But what I mean by this is that, that we can't be the church we're meant to be without you doing your part. Paul gives this illustration about the body. It gets, it gets really tedious, doesn't it? Uh, but it's also really profound. He, he, he uses this because it's, it's something we can all relate to. You know, most of us uh, probably don't love our physical bodies until we recognize something is, is not right. You know, we may exercise, we may eat well, or, or do things that, that in the big picture make our bodies work. Some of us can't, can't be bothered, but, 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 but at some point, something isn't going to work right. And when it doesn't, that's when we really begin to feel the impact. You know, no one, no one really appreciates their little hair follicles until they stop working properly and you begin to look like me. You know, it's a joke. You, can, you guys have zoned out already, haven't you? you know, it's, it's a small thing, isn't it? But it, it has practical implications. You know, my, my head is cold in the winter and it gets scorched in the summer. I have to outsource a job that my hair used to do to hats. It seems like a small thing. It's a silly example. Here, here's maybe a slightly more serious example. I injured my knee back in January. And it happened because I, I hadn't properly strengthened lots of little muscles around the knee that I didn't know I had. I didn't even know they existed. But when they failed, it meant that my knee wouldn't work right. And it was painful. And I needed this, I need this part of my body to function well or else uh, I'm in pain and can't do what I need to do and, and, and what I want to do. You see, we all love our brains and our eyes and our hands, but we forget these, these, little, these little ligaments that make us work properly. That's what Paul talks about here, doesn't he? He warns us about that in verses 23 to 26. He said, and, and, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You may think you don't have much to offer the church, but Paul is saying here that it doesn't matter if you're, if you're an eye, a nose, a little toe, some little ligament that, that we may have never heard of before. The church of Christ can't be the church of Christ without you. It can't be the church of Christ without you doing your part. And the reason is because Jesus is the one who makes his church whole by his grace. As we see at the, the table here before us tonight, the, his, his body was broken so that the body of his church can be made whole. See, we tend to think about that on an individualistic level. Jesus died for me, and yes, that's true. He died for you. 
so that you might be part of his body, the church. And he's called you by his grace from death to life. He's equipped you by his spirit. And he's prepared for you good works to do for his glory. And the truth is that Grace Church needs you. And Grace Church needs you to be who he has called you to be. Because we are one body in him. Let us pray.